On this Reign of Christ Sunday, we are after Thanksgiving, but not yet to Advent. It's the last day of the church calendar. However, you will hear about how we are in the midst of the busiest shopping season of the year. There are reports of Black Friday sales and traffic at the malls. There will be reports about shoplifting and all the devices to prevent such loss. If you have ever been to the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., down in the basement is this wonderful gift shop. When you check out your items you wish to purchase, there is a sign over the cash register. The sign boldly complains and claims, we have not seen you take it, but God did. We may not have seen you take it, but God did. It's a sobering thought. God is the great judge over all things, large and small, especially the small and unnoticed things we have said and done. Let's say we are all here this morning to learn more about God, to have a right relationship with God. What better place to get close to God than here in this church gathered among God's people? Sometimes people gather like gardeners, tending to their corner of the world, but not Christians. Christians are people who gather not only for tending their part of the world, but also tending for whatever else God wants. As we gather on this Sunday morning, we meet something like an old friend in this reading of the Gospel of Matthew about the Last Judgment. Jesus says in this parable that all nations and people will be judged in the end. All will appear before the throne of Almighty God. How many times have we heard this parable? We know it. The sheep and the goats appear before the judge, and the king separates them, those on the right and those on the left the sheep from the goats. Images of right and left, sheep and goats, are biblical ways of speaking of judgment, of the saved and the damned, the insiders and outsiders. How is it that this king makes these final judgments? We want to know how we stand with the king. Will there be a tallying, tallying of your giving record to the church? A lifetime report of your worship and faith formation attendance? A list of all the offices you have held in the congregation? You know the parable, so you already know the answer. The king says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. When the sheep and the goats inquire, inquire as to exactly when it was that they failed to do or did 
all these good things, they are told by the king, inasmuch as you have done it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. There you have it. Whenever we do these little acts of service to the least of these who are in need, the cup of water, the visit to the jail cell, the little everyday acts of hospitality and care, we have done this good work for the king. The king sees and the king blesses us. Years ago, I was reading from Sirach and other writings of the apocryphal and deuterocanonical books, not in the Bible. In the Jewish faith, there are these writings Christians have come to accept as part of the Bible. They are the Hebrew scriptures, traditionally called the Old Testament. In the Christian faith, there are also these writings we accept as Christian scriptures, traditionally what we call the New Testament. These 66 books are what we traditionally call the Bible. At the time of the Reformation, Protestant leaders were very careful to distinguish between what were authoritative writings and those that were not, sort of like separating the sheep from the goats. A few Bibles did include the Apocrypha books, but church leaders were careful not to build any doctrine around those books. Puritans, some of our spiritual ancestors, sought to be pure and omitted these books from within the covers of any book we call the Bible. By the time of the King James Version being printed, the apocryphal writings were completely omitted in the Protestant tradition. For me, what is very important about these writings is the record of history. The history during this time when the Hebrew scriptures stopped and the roughly four centuries before the Christian scriptures began. These apocryphal writings give the setting of the faith communities and the political climate where Jesus would live. What is disturbing to me is that we in the Protestant tradition have sought to be so pure, we have not read or studied these books outside of the 66 books we call the Bible. We want to know more about the king who would judge the sheep and the goats. Our vision has become so limited by the blinders over our eyes. I believe the primary witness of God is in Jesus Christ and these 66 books we call the Bible. However, I do not believe God has finished speaking to us. I believe God speaks to us through nature, governments, institutions, and especially people. Back when Mother Teresa was alive and speaking, I listened and heard about the hungry being fed. 
When Bible scholars like our denominations, Dr. Walter Brueggemann writes and speaks of new things, I listen and often hear things for those who thirst after justice to be given a drink. No doubt over the years, this congregation has responded when there were natural disasters and people lacking in clothing and shelter. When justice is not being served, there is usually a lone and often lonely voice crying out for justice. It is like those who are imprisoned or friends sheltering at home needing a visit. Our God is the one speaking and will one day be our judge. God is speaking too through the ancient writings not in the Bible, including the writings of Augustine, Julian of Norwich, and even apocryphal and deuterocanonical books. Some others have heard, but not always those of us in the Protestant tradition. William Shakespeare was keenly aware of the Holy Scriptures. Shakespeare also named two daughters after the two, two chief heroines in the Apocrypha, Susanna and Judith. Shakespeare also gave 80 different allusions from the books of the Apocrypha in his plays. American poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow in his New England tragedies makes reference to the apocryphal books 1st and 2nd Maccabees. Longfellow also used the history of the Maccabean uprising for his poetic dramatization of Judas Maccabeus, from which we have the awe-inspiring Eastern hymn, Easter hymn, Yours is the glory, resurrected one. Handel's music of Susanna, Judas Maccabeus, and Alexander Ballas have all come from apocryphal books. Sayings like a good name endures forever and you can't touch pitch without being defiled came from the apocrypha. Columbus persuaded the monarch to let him sail from the writings of the apocrypha. Our closing hymn, The Christmas Carol, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear, is traced back to the Apocrypha. The Apocryphal books have inspired many people to get close to God and to get right in their relationship with God, as seen in the beautiful hymn, Now Thank We All Our God. As you can see from your bulletin, the Italian, italic highlights are those parts from the Apocryphal writing of Sirach. Many of us in the Protestant tradition are ignorant of this because we have chosen to be pure, with blinders on, not reading those other writings. Our actions have shown we must think God was through speaking to us. Perhaps we even believe God stopped speaking. As we listen to the parable of Jesus about the last judgment in our gospel reading, God is still speaking. What is the response of the sheep and the goats who stand before the throne? Surprise. 
One would expect the goats, you know, the unrighteous, those who never go to any kind of faith formation, those who never read the Bible, those who don't know much about Jesus, to be dumb. They are supposed to be confused, shocked, and surprised when coming face to face with Almighty God. The surprise comes because neither the goats nor the sheep have any idea what is happening. The sheep, the righteous, those who have given a cup of cold water, who have visited the prisoner, who worked the funeral meal for someone they hardly knew or didn't know at all, those who help out with the other church meals, they are just as dumbfounded and shocked by the king's judgment as who will be named righteous. In this story, all are shocked, confused, and ignorant. Both groups, both the sheep and the goats, ask the very same dumbfounded question. Lord, when did we see you? There is surprise behind our thoughtlessness behind our acts of ordinary, everyday compassion, and there stands the incognito king. There was Jesus, and we didn't even know him. Lord, when did we see you? Mother Teresa once said, the gospel is written on your fingers. You did it to me. You did it to me. You see, this parable said, we don't see. One thing we know by the end of the story of judgment is that we don't know. This is not a barking order to get to work. This is not an order to up your giving, though your governing board would not object. This parable is now about how you and I came here thinking we can somehow get a grip on God, twisting God's arm toward our lives with a surefire formula for getting right in God's eyes. We cannot avoid judgment. We shall be judged, and in that judgment, according to this parable, there will be surprises what we do know that is not a surprise is that God sits on the throne of judgment. God, whose searching eyes looks over our, our lives and will pass judgment, is the same God who has come to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus came to forgive us when we don't get it right. Jesus loves us even when we don't always know how to love him. And Jesus does judge us. Our surprise at his judgment is the shock of his grace found in the scriptures and in all those various places where God is still speaking. Amen.